Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Have you heard about Moo Money? Moo Money? Moo Money is a rewards program that lets you earn cash every time you buy real milk. I use mine to buy movie tickets. Movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. It was a musical. Uh-huh. Anyway, just head to MooMoney.com to start earning moolah. Got it. Moolah. Hurry, or everything I told you will be moot. Oh, please, no more moos. Someone's a little moody. Open to legal residents of the state of California, 18 years of age or older. Visit MooMoney.com for official rules, terms, and conditions. Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast on Podcast One. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. Hey, everybody. This is Laurel, executive producer for Forbes Podcasts. Today's show is a little different because we have two interviews with people from the same team. And that team is Team Dignitas, a professional video games team that's owned by the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers. And now I hand it off to Mike Ozanian. I have a very special guest today, Emily Garrido of Team Dignitas, one of the great e-gaming teams on the come recently. Emily, thanks so much for taking some time for the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, you are, your team right now uh, is ranked number two in the world and uh, number one, where is that, North America or uh, locally? Yep. That's that, that's North America. That, that's phenomenal. And by the way, I, I should say, you're also uh, a full-time nurse, as I understand it? Uh, I was able to quit my nursing job uh, two or three months ago, Finally. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. I was doing that full-time for three years while competing full-time, so it was tough, but uh, now I can focus on gaming. But yeah, your your story and your team's story is is remarkable. There's so much, it seems to me, from what I've been reading, has been happening so fast but let's start with, how did you get into gaming, first of all? Oh, man. Uh, it was so long ago. <laughs> My brother, he left open a Counter-Strike on his computer about 15 or so years ago. And uh, I hopped on the computer when he was gone, and I just fell in love ever since. And uh, there was local land centers around uh, my town and I went there and I met a few people and they told me about tournaments that they were holding there um so I found a few friends to uh, compete with there and I wasn't that good at the time I just started playing but the fact that uh, I found out that there was a whole competitive side to it made me just fall in love even more because I used to play soccer and um playing counter-strike and the adrenaline rush that I got from where it all depends on me to win a round is something that I never felt before. So I really fell in love with uh, Counter-Strike. And uh, ever since then, it's pretty much history. I made the team that I'm on now three years ago, and uh, we went to uh, play in our very first tournament in 2014. And we went in as underdogs and uh, maybe only had one or two months of practice because they literally just made the team before the tournament. It was at the Electronic Sports World Cup. In Paris, and uh, we got second place, which was amazing. With very little practice, and I knew from that moment on that I'm going to keep this team, and we're going to keep working hard to become world champions. How did you uh, meet the team, and you know, how does one go about saying, you know, I want to be a part of this team, and, and how did you qualify? Um, I 
started creating my own local events in Southern California. So I would host tournaments and uh, I met a lot of people there. So we had teams flying from all over the country, from New York, New Jersey, Texas, who would fly to Southern California to play in my tournament. Um, and I met one girl who was an art star, and I asked her if she wanted to join my team because I saw her play in the tournament. And then uh, the rest of the girls I met online through mutual friends, and we talked a lot online. We actually play mostly uh, online is where we practice, so that's how I met everybody mostly. Now, is your brother, is your brother older or younger than you? He's older. <laughs> okay, so like I'm three and a half years older than my sister, and I know that like if she got really good at something, and I'm, I'm assuming, given how good you are at gaming, you're better than your brother. Like, uh, was there ever any jealousy there? Like, do you guys compete at that level? Um, no. I I asked him the other day. Actually, that's funny you said that. I was like, is it kind of weird that your little sister's really good at video games? And he was like, no, that's awesome. I I show you off to people, and it's just really cool. So <laughs> he's uh, he's good at other things, you know. But Counter Strike's definitely my game. <laughs> that's a good brother. You know, if it was me, I think I I don't know if I would uh, it would have been so nice. I probably would have been very jealous, you know. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that's great. That's great. What was that first tournament like over there? You know, you've, you you just make the team. You're over there in Europe. You don't have a sponsor. Uh, can you can you tell me what the you know what what the companionships like and and how you guys were able to to play second over there in that tournament? Yeah, um, we really bonded. It was in Paris, and we had to pay for our own flights and our own hotel rooms. So. All six of us uh, girls and our coach was in one small room together, and we only had two beds, so it was it was really tight. And but that made us kind of bond and like learn a lot about each other. And um, in this game, it's very similar to traditional sports. You have to have good chemistry outside of the game for inside the game. And so um, in this tournament, they've been ESWC has been running these tournaments for over a decade, and. Uh, this female event was one of the biggest ones of the year. And in order to play on the stage, you had to make it to finals. So our goal was very short term. Our goal was like, okay, let's at least make it out of groups. We made out of groups and we're like, okay, let's at least, at least make it on the stage. And we did. And from that moment, when I walked onto the stage and in front of my computer and you look and you see the audience and it's just uh, a few hundred, maybe even a thousand people that were looking up at us, like that feeling that I had was so touching and I had goosebumps and I'm looking to my left and my right and I see my teammates and I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. I just want to dominate. And, um, it's, it's an amazing feeling to be on that stage and play something that I have literally played for 15 years and be professional at. It was amazing. Is, uh, your role sort of like the equivalent to what a point guard would be in the NBA? Right, yeah. So I always compare myself to a point guard. I, I call the strategies in-game, and I guide my teammates, like, okay, this time you're going to go towards the left side of the map, or uh, this time we need to rush a, a bomb site or such like that. And um, I do a lot of uh, outside studying. I'll study demos of ourselves and mistakes, and uh, it's pretty similar to the point guard I learned when I went to the 76ers training facility. You know, speaking of training, now, 
don't make fun of me. Don't laugh at me. I, I've really been getting sort of a crash course in gaming over the last <laughs> maybe three months where, you know, the it seems like whatever guests we've had, whether it be a team owner or like uh, Peter Goober, who owns the Golden State Warriors, or a former NBA star like Rick Fox, uh, whoever, everybody is talking about and getting involved in gaming. So I've been sort of learning a lot about it in, in a very fast way. And I came into it with the stupid assumption that, oh, gaming, you know, it's not something you have to like really be in shape for. But I think I'm way wrong, right? Like, in fact, you just got through, like, boot camping with the Philadelphia 76ers coaches and medical staff and yeah. trainers. Yeah, yeah. It was such an amazing experience. And it's quite funny how you can really relate uh, professional esports to traditional sports because we really do experience the same problems that traditional athletes do. And it was amazing we went to the 76er training facility because uh, they treated us just like the NBA players. Like we were, we were on the same level and the medical staff uh, showed us similar things that they show the players, such as like myself, I have uh, wrist problems all the time. And uh, they showed me different ways that I could heal my wrist. And the sports psychologist we were so excited about because the same mental barriers that the basketball players go through is what we went through. So there's so many things that are important that we learned uh, that we need to apply. And uh, the nutritionist, for example, was really nice because uh, it, our game is not so much physical, it's more mental. So eating the right things to give you enough energy and to keep focus is really important that we learned. And uh, we've been applying everything that we learned, and it's been really successful so far. Our matches we've been winning, our practices have been going well. And it, it's just a really nice experience to have. I think we're one of the only t gaming teams that got to experience a traditional sports training complex, which kind of puts us to the next level, which is awesome. Hey, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, their owner bought Team Dignitas. So, I, you know, you guys are owned by them. But as I understand it, you guys pretty much run your own show there. Um, yeah, before we would, uh, the 76ers are really getting involved with us and are really, I love that they're so curious about the gaming world and um, they were really educated when we actually, when we went to the training facility and they actually knew a lot about gaming. So um, they're keeping educated and involved with Team Dignitas, which is nice. Yeah, you know, by run your own show, I mean, it seems like the 76ers as well as you know, other NBA teams are, are getting involved and stuff. Uh by, it almost seems like they're learning from you guys. Like they know gaming is this huge market and they want to be in it. And they know it has great growth, particularly outside of the U.S. Where, you know, it's been so big for a while already that it's mm -hmm. it, it, in being involved with you. It's like you're teaching them about the gaming business. Yeah, I think we really got to teach them when we were at the facility of um, our, how our teamwork is important and just about our competitive side of practicing. We practice uh, much more longer hours than traditional sports people do. Um, we And when we play in tournaments, it's much more longer days. We played 15-hour long days, tournament days, so it's really rough and uh, it's good for them to learn the difference uh, in that type of world has the uh, have the sixers been able to bring any 
uh, infrastructure and you know the the experience they've had on the marketing side with the NBA team over to your side that's helped uh, Team Dignitas. Um, yeah, like I said, the the training facility I think is a infrastructure that no other esports inter- uh, game has had before. Um, we are, we're going to be playing in a, a tournament in Philadelphia, actually, the end of July. And when we told the staff that, they immediately wanted us to come boot camp at their facility again before the Philadelphia event, which is something that no other team has. And um, I think that that's just something that will give us a huge advantage that no other team can say that they have traditional sports training right before a tournament. Do you ever bump into when you're over there uh, any of the players for the 76ers and, you know, they kind of look at you like, gee, you know, uh, <laughs> what, you know, what, what is she doing here? That type Why of these, these short girls here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, yeah. I actually got to meet TJ, the point guard, which was really cool. Cause I was like, Hey TJ, I'm, I'm the point guard of Counter-Strike. And he was like, what? That's so cool. And uh, actually, the Alienware, uh, Dell Alienware brought their mobile broadcast station there. Hmm. So we were playing on this uh, little trailer with the NBA players. Joel Embiid came. He was so curious on what was going on. And we showed him around on Counter-Strike a little bit. And he had so much fun with it and a few other basketball players. So it's just kind of funny because uh, I guess you could say the nerd side of everybody kind of came out and it was really fun to share. You know, one of the things I was also actually, you know, reading about, you look at a lot of these NBA players, um, they are really into gaming. Um, (laughs) You know, the the guy that the uh, uh, Warriors signed that had been with Oklahoma, you know, he's a huge gamer and when I was talking to Rick Fox, he was like, yeah, man, you know, a lot of these NBA players, you know, these guys are coming into the league now, 19, 20, 21. They're the generation of gamers. They know what this is. They want in. So I was actually thinking, like, some of these N- players with the 76ers should be looking at you like you're the superstar. And it's kind of like, you know, they're lucky to be around you. Yeah, it was really funny when they came to our <laughs> Alienware uh, station because, you know, we showed them a little bit of how to play Counter-Strike, and then they were really competitive, and they didn't want to lose against us, so there was a little bit of uh, talking between each other, trying to get in each other's head, and it was just really funny how competitive they were at a brand new game they just learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you guys are still under the... Uh... Uh, in accordance with the tag CSGO women, go wi- CSGO women. Um, but you, you've made it very clear. You don't want to just be like the best female gamers. You want to be the best gamers, period. Right. Yeah. The We don't look at ourselves as female gamers. We look at ourselves as just gamers. And uh, to earn the title of the best female team in North America is great. But now we're going to stretch our goal. And we just want to be one of the best teams in the world in general. And uh, there's nothing that's stopping us from playing against the male teams. We actually do. We, we just got back from a tournament last weekend, which was mixed. And it was all male teams that we played against. And we got third, which is great because people didn't expect us to get that. And we just, it's nice to show we're here to dominate and we're not here to play around and we just want to be the best. How are you received by the male gamers? Um, it's 
pretty nice how supportive they are. Uh, when I first started playing 15 years ago, there wasn't that many female gamers, so it was kind of rare to see females that were playing in tournaments. So um, with that being said, more and more girls are playing, and it's just becoming more of a common thing now. And uh, I think that they my type of thing that I like to show people is that I practice just as hard as the male gamers, if not harder, because I have so much to prove and I, I like to prove myself through my skill wise. And that's kind of where I think our team uh, earned our respect. And breaking away to say this show is brought to you by the business platinum card from American express. However, you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Hey, have you heard? Podcast One has a whole bunch of awesome new shows filled with big names that are waiting for you on our brand new amazing app. This one's a game changer. There's Norman Lear talking to Amy Poehler, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Charles Barkley. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with Brian Cranston, Josh Gad, and soon Neil Patrick Harris. Nice. OC Real Housewife, Heather Dubrow's World, Lady Gang's Three Mimosa Podcast with Leah Michelle, Nelly Furtado, L. King, and more. Plus every episode of The Adam Carolla Show, Dan Patrick, and Rich Eisen. And if you like what happens in the ring, we've got Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Chael Sonnen, and a whole bunch more. So download our one of a kind new app and see for yourself. Go to the App Store, Google Play, or download it now at podcastone.com. How much uh, um, communication is there uh, both amongst gamers, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, rivals on other teams, other gaming teams, and also with your huge fan base uh, through social media? Yeah, um, we're very highly social people. Um, that's why the gaming world is quite nice because um, I don't think traditional sports athletes communicate with their fans as much as we get the opportunity to. Um, we have players on Team Dignitas that stream live on Facebook and Twitch. And I love streaming personally because it's a way for me to uh, show my personality outside of competing and connect with my fans one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, they can ask me questions, and I can answer right away. Um, we're highly active on our Twitter, which is great because our fans are super highly active on it, too. And it's it's really nice that we get to connect with our fans one-on-one -on -one that way. And even in tournaments, they can come up to us, and a lot of times they ask us to sign their mouse pads. <laughs> it's a thing to do, and it's just... Uh, it's nice because we like to show our fans that we do care about them. And so I just want to motivate people. And our team really takes a role in being role models to motivate uh, female gamers, especially that if you work hard enough, you can become to do what we do. And there's actually a funny story about that. Um, we met a girl at a tournament and we only had one jersey to give away to a fan and we decided like, okay, this girl's going to get our jersey. So we signed it for her and we gave it to her and uh, she actually took a picture of it and tweeted us on Twitter that she hung up the jersey above her computer, which is really nice. And then we found out that she used us as motivation to want to be like us. And she made a team, and she's actually competing with us alongside in these international tournaments, which is awesome. Wow, that, that's, that, that's a really cool story. So, Emily, yeah. you, you opened the door a little bit on this because you mentioned your personality. Um, so, <laughs> two-part question here. 
Tell me a little bit about what is your personality, and, and as a follow-up, do you think there's a certain type of personality that is required for someone to be a successful gamer? I'm the leader of the team, so I kind of have to be the mature one and be serious and get people on time and focused on practice. Um, but it's also important to remember it's a game, and it's something we love, and we don't want to stop loving something that we do. So I like to uh, have a lot of fun with it. And uh, if we're winning a lot of matches, that, that doesn't mean that we need to start stop practicing. It's that we need to keep working harder because that means people are going to come counter us. So... Once you get to the top, like right now, we're the best female team in North America. It's, it's not that it's not that easy to stay there. So that's why I just want to remind everybody that we need to just continue dominating where we are. How do you like the sponsors that you guys have gotten? Uh, you know, uh, pretty quick or pretty recently, you've got Mountain Dew as a partner, which they're they're traditionally somebody that I guess I would associate most with like the X Games. So, so I see that as a, as a very exciting new fit. Uh, mm-hmm. Buffalo Wild Wings and Dow. Now, Dow, I think, is, is, is big in the, in the eSports space. Yeah, we use Dell gear. We use their computers, and it's uh, one of the best computers I've ever had because I used to play on a horrible computer. So when I got this one, I was like, wow, this is a pretty smooth game. And it's really important when you're competing in esports to have top-of-the-line gear. So it was awesome to be provided that by Dell. And Buffalo Wild Wings has actually uh, – they have something called E-League, which is on TBS, so you can – Watch Counter-Strike on live TV, which is awesome. We've actually uh, held a viewing party at Buffalo Wild Wings, and uh, we had over 100 people come to our Buffalo Wild Wings viewing party just to watch Counter-Strike live on TV, which people were looking at us around, and why are all these people here and screaming at the TV? And it was nice because they were curious about it, and we told them, about what it was and uh also we have mountain dew which um in our game there's a league called esca which is an anti-cheat league that we all play on and mountain dew uh sponsors a league they've been sponsoring it for uh longer than six months i think but um mountain dew has been in the gaming world already and uh, they have their own league which my husband actually plays on um so for me to say that I went from having to pay for my own flights, being in the same hotel room, to having Buffalo Wild Wings and Mountain Dew and Dell on my jersey is just a dream come true. And I still can't believe it to this day because it's quite amazing. Did, did you say you were playing in an anti-cheat league? Uh, yeah, it, because you can play on the game through just the normal game. Um, but it's nice to play on ESCA because it prevents people from cheating. Oh, oh, I see. So the, the, there's certain technology, certain games you could play where people can't cheat, and then there are others where people, I guess, do and can cheat? Um, no, this, this client is just to protect people from using cheats. And uh, if, you, if you only play through the game, then uh, new people to the game could use cheats. But that's why if you're in the professional scene, we like to use ESCA just so we know that everyone's playing a fair game. Ah, I see. I, I get it. How does your husband take to your gaming? Um, well, he 
loves it. He's actually our coach as well. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's how I met him. And we actually got married on a map in our game, <laughs> which is based off of a mission in Southern California, San Juan Capistrano. <laughs> and a map was influenced based off of this mission. So we had our wedding there, which was kind of cool to influence. Counter-Strike is where we met into our wedding. <laughs> That's awesome. What a great so, story. <laughs> Yeah, so he's a professional gamer, too. He's actually from France. He's been a, a champion in France you know, way back, like 10 years ago. So he's been along for a long time. So he he motivates our team more than anyone would know. And um, kind of similar to when we met the coach of the 76ers, Billy Lang. And he, he reminded me of my husband, which is our coach, just motivating, telling us about communication. So um, he plays a big role in our team. Um, there's been some things that I've read about more standardization in gaming. For, for example, uh, uh, there's been talk in tech and business and gaming news about Riot and Activision Blizzard licensing uh, with the goal of standardizing the esports leagues. What, what are your thoughts on that as players? Is this more standardization better or worse for the gaming industry? Um, I think it's great to have a standardization. Um, for example, my team, we went three years with only two weeks break. So to have structure is something that we kind of need um, because we never know when we can take vacation. We're sacrificing so much time with family and friends. So standardizing it and applying more structure could be good for our industry. Very interesting. Um I'm I'm catching on, you know, at some point, hopefully in a few months down the road, you know, you're going to perhaps give me an opportunity to chat with you again. And I hope I'm going to pass a test then. you could test me and you're going to be surprised how much more I will have uh, learned by then. Um, one other thing I found fascinating about Team Dignitas recently, recently is you've added two players. Uh, I think this was around mid-June, Adrian and Altec, and you dropped X-Special. Okay, now... Why did this happen, and, and what does it mean specifically when teams add and drop players in terms of the strategy of, of being able to win? Um, yeah, those players are actually not from my game. That's from the League of Legends team. Um, so I can't really answer on their part of why they dropped players. Um, but for me, I've done it in the past, and we just picked up our player, Kath and Goosebreeder, who were actually from our rival team, who did not enjoy playing on that rival team, so they came over to our side. And most of the time when we get new players, for my team at least, it's because they have a, a better winning attitude, uh, they're more skillful, they just connect with us better on a chemistry level. Is it, is it uh, you know, I, I imagine, especially when you travel and, and go abroad to play in tournaments, there's a lot of bonding that goes on, you know, um, and subsequent to that, if you're making changes to your roster um, and you as the team leader, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you have to reinforce that they have to train and take it serious. Is, is it hard to do that to see guy, uh, ladies come and go or, or to make changes on you? I um, mean, personally, is, is, it some, <laughs> is it something you find difficult? I, I really look at my teammates like sisters that I've never had. I don't have any sisters. So, um, 
you know, we've we've been through breakups with each other. We've been through so much, and uh, I've had the same teammates, uh, Rain and Artstar, since I've made the beginning of the team. And the other people who have left, it was because they couldn't handle our practice schedule. It was a lot of hard work, and that's okay if they want to leave. And it just gives other people like Goosebreeder who joined and Kath an opportunity to join our bond, and we just play. We're just so close with each other. We've cried with each other. We've been mad at each other. It's, it's really a sisterhood that I never thought I would get from playing a video game. And something that I think, you know, we were talking about social media, uh, Team Dignitas, I would say going back a few, few months, maybe it was April, and announced a partnership with Facebook. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, it's really exciting to be able to stream on Facebook. I started in July, um, but uh, usually we would use Twitch, and I I love Twitch, but I, I'm really excited to expand my uh, streaming life onto Facebook because it gives us this whole new exposure of uh, video games and um, a whole new audience that might not even know anything about video games that are going to start being curious and start learning about it. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to start doing that. So you're really going to be putting a lot more of your life out there on Facebook, as I guess your, your team members are, and, and, and this is a way to build the brand and build the business. Is that the idea? Yeah, pretty much. Um, like I said, streaming is really important because it's more of a personal level and you get connect with your fans and teach people about the game that you love. Um, so Facebook allowing us to do that is pretty great because, like I said, it, it's going to be a whole new audience that either know a lot about gaming already or don't know about it. So someone might be scrolling through and see that I'm streaming Counter-Strike and they'll click on it and they'll be curious about it and they'll ask questions and I could actually talk to them one-on-one -on -one through Facebook about it, which is pretty nice to teach people. Mm. Like, professional esports and the esports competitive scene is a thing, and it's a awesome thing to do if it's something that you love. I, I'm, I'm sure there are some uh, folks out there who would love to be gamers, professional <laughs> gamers. Give, give me uh, a, a basic rundown of your typical day when you're in training. Um, well, we play five days a week, and we start from 3 p.m., and we end around 9 p.m. with a 30-minute break in between. Um, that's just our normal practice schedule altogether. And uh, me as the leader, I have to do a little bit of extra work, so I'll watch demos of us practicing if it was a, a day that we struggled with. Sometimes I'll give the girls homework and I'll say, okay, today you're going to watch this demo and see what you can fix, what mistakes you can fix, and then tomorrow I'll present your notes that we can all work on together kind of thing. Um, I also study other teams, see how I can counter them. Um, and this is all before practice too, by the way, so there, there's a lot of hard work to it. Um, I have to have a meal prepped because 30 minutes isn't enough time. It's a lot, but... Um, it's really not that much if it's something you love to do. Who are your biggest rivals right now? I would like to say the the number one team, which is from Sweden, actually. Um, we really want to take them out of their throat. Do, do you think, you, ha you know, what is it going to take for you guys to do to catch them? Do you think you're a little bit behind, far behind? Is it is it a talent thing? Uh, they, they Do they have just more experience? They definitely have a little bit more experience than some of the girls on my team. 
actually by like 10 years, but I don't think that's what's stopping us from beating them. I think the biggest issue is that these tournaments we're playing in is uh, international and they're already from there. And jet lag is horrible. And it's something that we need to try fixing, whether it's coming a week before. So we adjust to the jet lag, but we're playing 15 hour long days and we're meeting this rival team on the final stage and it's rough when you're playing a 15 hour long day and you're jet lagged um so i think we're gonna try going a, a few days before to adjust and i think our skill level will outcome them well with your det- determination i uh, i have a lot of confidence in you how's it been since jonathan kemp came over and became ceo uh what are some of the positive changes he's helped bring about Oh, Jonathan is amazing. I actually got to meet him in person for the first time at E3, I think, last weekend. And he's so funny and he's so caring. And he doesn't look at us like uh, gamers. He looks at us like athletes and he really motivates us to want to succeed. He always asks us if there's anything that we need to succeed and he answers right away and he's just so helpful and so motivating. And I... Honestly, this is kind of cliche, but I really just want to be number one in the world to just make him proud. And when is your next big tournament, and uh, how can those uh, fans of yours or fans of gaming, what's the best way for them to follow you and, and, and track how you're preparing for your next big tournament? We will be playing at a mixed tournament in Philadelphia at the end of July. Uh, there's going to be 64 teams there, so it's going to be a long wow. day. Yeah, and uh, people can spectate the event if they're local. Um, And also, if they follow me on social media, on Twitter, uh, we have lots of updates about our uh, game days and results. And your Twitter handle is what? It's Emelit, E-M-U-H-L-E-E-T. Well, I'm going to track it down myself because I uh, I want to see you guys win this tournament. If I can't get down there myself, and um, I appreciate you letting all our listeners in on your journey, which has been nothing short of incredible to this point. And Emily, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. I, I, I know how busy you are getting ready for this tournament. Yeah, thank you. I'm really glad that you're interested in the gaming scene, too. That's just amazing to me that you're curious about it. So thank you for that. Uh, hopefully we'll revisit soon. And um Uh, Catch up on everything you've been up to. Okay, thank you. Joining me now is Jonathan Kemp, the CEO of Team Dignitas. Jonathan, thanks a lot for taking some time to come on the podcast. Got to know, like, how how have your first nine months been there with Team Dignitas? Uh, Thanks for having me, by the way, Uh, and good morning. Um, It's been a it's been a great first nine months. I mean, we've had uh, we've had a lot of successes over that period. I mean, as you can imagine, when the acquisition of the the existing team Dignitas and uh, the Apex team, the League of Legends team, uh, well, those two teams were acquired by the Philadelphia 76ers and the ownership group there. Uh, I came on board at that point, and um, yeah, no, listen, it's been a it's been a very exciting first nine months. We've managed to integrate those businesses and take on board a lot of the learnings and the experiences from uh, from the Sixers and apply those into esports and. I'm happy to talk through uh, some of those specifically, but it's been a it's been a great first nine months. We've made a lot of progress. 
Team Dignitas and Team Apex, obviously two separate teams. Now, do the players ever compete on both teams? Do they, you know, is there portability there? Or, or, or are the rosters completely separate? So the rosters are completely separate. Um, and then we actually, the teams that Team Apex had was uh, one team, which is the League of Legends team. Uh, and then Team Dignitas did not had, have a, uh, a League of Legends team. So that was fairly complementary in terms of bringing those two organizations together. Um, but no, players typically um, do not compete in multiple games. Uh, it is very much a, a single discipline. Jonathan, is there, is there an advantage to owning two teams in the sense of being able to integrate things like marketing, sponsorships, those types of revenue-generating things that could help both franchises? Well, I think in our case, um, the acquisition was very much based around uh, wanting to have a broad reach in terms of our teams and so uh, Dignitas have been around for 13 years a great sort of legacy franchise very well known in in, in esports um, whereas Team Apex was a, a new team um, but how, as I said the the difference was Dignitas did not have a League of Legends team Apex did have a League of Legends team and we felt that was important so what we ended up doing was consolidating them and putting them all under the one banner so we operate very much as a, as a single as a single team under the team Dignitas umbrella I see and I'm sort of a novice I've been learning a lot sure. of, in, in this area and I've had a few people on uh, such as Rick Fox that have become very big in, in eSports and gaming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and been gaining a lot of knowledge about this. And, and one thing I've realized is there is such a wide variety of people that I've been coming across in the sports business space that are into eSports now, you know, people from Michael Milken to Alex Rodriguez to Rick Fox to you guys. Uh, the breadth seems seems so, so big on this. Um, how big of an opportunity do you see this over the next few years in terms of revenue? I, I think it's it's huge. I really do. I mean, you know, we're seeing the, the metrics that we see now around um, viewership for, for tournaments, for streaming viewership, um, for, you know, regular um, league matches, the streaming data we get from from our players when you know when they're competing in games and then when they're um, just purely purely streaming some of their practices and engaging with fans the the, the numbers and the metrics are significant so um, as we sort of extrapolate that out and talk to to commercial partners be that sponsors or broadcasters or, or media partners then again you know that opportunity is is uh, increasing significantly year on year so I think the reason why you're seeing and, and being able to talk to all those people and all those people that you described are interested in this space is is because it's it's a very exciting space right now and there's lots of um, people coming in, bringing their their um, their ideas and bringing a lot of their knowledge and experience from traditional sports, NBA, NHL, NFL in Europe, Premier League, that kind of thing. Bringing a lot of that knowledge and know-how, um, and generally the space is is lifting. I mean, it was already um, obviously a very popular um, activity previously, and and now what we're doing is introducing a lot of. Um, opportunities for commercial partners to be involved in an environment where they can be successful. And I think that's become a big difference for, for people now coming into the space. Yeah, uh, Needham and company came out with a report yesterday that was actually focused on electronic arts, uh, the big gaming publisher, but it just had sure. some general charts in there that were incredibly bullish. 
They're saying from 2013 through an estimated 2017, global video players grew at a compound annual growth rate of 15%, which, which is incredible. But one of the things that's, that's very interesting within that is that the churn rate, that is the number of people that stop playing, is declining. So you're building up this huge base of gamers uh, that is that is actually uh, staggering, you know, underpinning the whole growth in the industry. So this, to me, says a lot about the demographics, not just being young people, but also expanding into, you know, going from Generation uh, X into, you know, millennials and beyond. That's right. And I think, uh, you know, I think what we're seeing from, from people who are playing games and, you know, we're now at a point where... You know, a lot of uh, parents that play games will have now find gaming an opportunity to to um, participate in something with their children, and so you're seeing that as you know very much more a sort of family environment. Um, I think the other thing as well, which you know has been has been talked about, but uh, is, is significant to note, is the the opportunity you have in esports to engage with um, your with the players and the players ultimately to engage with the fans. You know, we don't get that so much um, in other areas. There's always a little bit of a, a distance, be it geographical or or, or whatever, with um, with players and fans. Whereas in gaming, you know, the the fans can engage with players pretty much all the time that they're online. So when people are playing and practicing, because of the environment, because it's it's digital and it's online a lot of the time, then that engagement is, is significant. And so you do build up this rapport between players and fans and therefore teams and fans, um, which I think helps that whole um, churn rate process. People feel engaged, they feel committed, they feel part of the ecosystem and therefore don't drop out at perhaps the rate that you would expect. Now, you guys uh, stream on Facebook, is that correct? We stream on Facebook, we stream on Twitch. Um, we announced uh, a few months ago um, a deal with uh, with Facebook, which was a non-exclusive streaming deal. Um, the The background to that was that um, we felt that, that uh, working with Facebook would uh, would help us grow our, our fan base, but um, certainly as we see people entering the esports space, uh, we feel that um, you know they're not necessarily always going to want to gravitate towards Twitch as their as their primary streaming partner. They will want to look at other um, uh, other social media partners and other streaming sites. And so we decided that actually partnering with Facebook, uh, in addition to to Twitch, and in addition to hopefully uh, other partners that we would intend to work with moving forwards, that will enable us to to grow our um, grow our fan base and and more importantly give our fans greater access to our players when, when this deal was first announced uh it was sort of described by someone as a bold move that few in the esports industry would even venture to consider um <laughs> did, did, did you consider it such a bold move was there was there any risk involved um i wouldn't say there was risk i think we've always been committed to growing our fan base and ensuring that um, as esports scene grows um, and we can see the the, the sort of the, the figures um, of uh, projected figures of people wanting to engage in this space um, and as we look at that then we've had a very strong view view right from the beginning um, that we need to be there at their point of entry into esports we need to be there as a team and we need to be there with our players um, and being able to engage with those fans, and that enables us to to um, 
to go on to become, you know, um, one of, if not the biggest team in esports, and that's clearly part of the plan here. So, it, you know, the deal with Facebook was very much um, part of that um, part of that thought process, um, and certainly part of a sort of a longer journey to make sure that we are um, accessible to all fans, no matter where they come into the space. Where do most of the people uh, consume uh, your content from? In terms, is it mobile devices, and and within that, is it Facebook or is it Twitch, or what's most popular? Uh, in terms of um, volume right now, Twitch is still uh, the, the, the 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 sort of the lead um, streaming partner in the esports space. I mean, they've had such a, a head start in terms of um, you know their, their uh, activities, and they've been around for for a long time and continue to provide a great service to to, to fans. So, you know, Twitch still remains the the the, the largest. Um, partner in in the space i think for not just for us but for for all teams um but you know we're definitely seeing now from from the likes of facebook and um we'll see a few more joining the space moving forward and i think what's going to be interesting for us as well is you know there are some parts of the world where um twitch or facebook or indeed other partners may actually not be the the, the major streaming partner there may well be specific countries where there are localized versions of that and so what we want to be able to do given the global nature of the team and given the global nature of our players um, is make sure that we are partnering with the best partner in korea the best partner in portugal or 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 brazil or or wherever it happens to be that we believe actually is a the opportunity for for us to increase that fan base so so we will continue to to work with Twitch and Facebook and and uh, and then look for other opportunities moving forward to, to continue to grow that. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like, uh, you know, an, a, a deal with Amazon Prime would kind of be nice, something like what the NFL had. That's, that seems to be a really uh, popular way to be viewing content. Um, and the way they package that, uh, what Amazon is paying versus what it seems like it could increase the number of people that use Amazon Prime is... Uh, really am advantageous to amazon yeah absolutely and i think you know in, in the amazon uh, example you, you cite is a good one and, and i think there are you know, a number of others around there where people are looking at esports and saying wow this is you know this is such a, a growth market um it's driven by interesting content it's driven by um fan interactions online um it's pretty unique you know when it comes to sports in that respect and so i think all of those um, potential partners out there who have a solid content strategy would look at esports and say how can we uh, enter that space and how can we actually be a, a sort of an authentic partner within it um and, and certainly it's our job to to make sure we uh we work with as many of those people as possible and taking a break to say there's this place in bali where you can play 18 holes next to an active volcano there's this fountain in miami that goes off with every home run there's this subway line in new york that'll take you straight to both arenas there's an exciting and thrilling world waiting and no other card lets you experience it like the business platinum card from american express backed by the service and security of american express At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Where do you best measure, or how do you best measure and really capture that fan interaction, which which I have to imagine is is, uh, very, very important in terms of capturing the passion of the people that follow gaming and therefore once you capture that 
uh, I would assume that that's what you then go towards uh, to your partners with and say, look, you know, it's not just simply the number of people that have uh, watched this competition, but look at the interaction here as a measure of their passion and devotion. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's a, you know, there's a wide range of metrics that we would uh, that we would consider and, and that we would then report back to, to potential partners around our fan engagement. And, you know, that range of metrics is, is pretty broad. I mean, that from one end of the scale uh, as a as a barometer of, of fan engagement, then, um, you know, there's the obvious uh, social media metrics around our um Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Just you know the kind of interactions we're getting there. Not just the amount of followers we have, but actually what's happening when we are tweeting something or when we are posting something. What actually is the reaction to that that follows on from that? Um, and that obviously is a very good indicator on our on our social media and, and our fan engagement. Um, and then through to to the video content we produce. And you know this is such an important piece for for us and for all esports team is. You know the content we produce to make sure it is relevant and interesting, and make sure it's timely, and make sure it's authentic, and and that's a you know component for us to be able to measure the content that we produce. How successful is that? And the content will differ. You know sometimes there'll be little ten second pieces of content which will be relevant for social media, and other times there'll be longer content that we'll um, produce for sort of sort of long form. Um, content which we would put onto to YouTube, and so the the sort of the views that we would get from YouTube is an important piece. But then, you know, at the other end of the scale, as we talk about fan engagement, we are also monitoring merchandise sales, um, and um, and obviously just the, the 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 kind of the activities we're able to to generate via our website. So, you know, we have a number of ways in which we're able to to view our, our fan engagement and, and monitor our progress in that respect. And as you rightly say, it is such a key component for us when we're talking to, to partners and, and a key internal metric for us to determine how successful we're being. I just want to go through sort of the four main areas you're charged with here. And um, if you can, help our listeners uh, understand exactly what's involved here. Let's go to first uh, the competitiveness of Team Dignitas. You know, you mentioned uh, the two teams, the Apex team and, and Team Dignitas, before it was all merged under one, uh, and how s- players of one weren't familiar with League of Legends. Is it very specific in terms of the skills of gamers? In other words, uh, a person playing League of Legends, for example, they could excel there, but then not excel at another competitive game? Yes, absolutely. And so we, you know, you rarely find players who switch across, um, a, you know, competitively professional players switching across one, from one game to another. I mean, it happens, but it happens very rarely. Within those games, there are, you know, set positions. Um, so on a League of Legends team, there are five players on the team. Um, and there are five roles within that, with that, within that team. And each of our players performs one of those roles. And, uh, um, you find within the the sort of ecosystem of players that players specialize in each of those specific roles. Wow! You know, uh, we're having this conversation here and uh, via Skype, and I'm looking at your picture. And, you know, you know, you're good looking, looks like young man here. And I'm just wondering, were you a gamer? Was that your interest? Because <laughs> I mean, I think our listeners have to know that you know this isn't your first uh, role here at gaming. You oversaw the launches. Uh, supporting widely popular games, including Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, and Hitman. 
So yeah, so my background, and thank you, by the way, that's an old picture. Um, <laughs> I've, aged, I've aged a little bit since then. Um, <laughs> I, I thought we all put old pictures on top. <laughs> I feel like I've been busted. Mine's um, 20 years old, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have this background, which is um, pretty interesting as it relates to esports. It's a it's a background based around video games and games publishing, um, and therefore a sort of you know a, a pretty solid understanding of how games are developed, how games are published, and and more importantly how to to sort of interact with the consumer in that respect. Um, I've also had a, a fairly um, significant time within there, actually on the gaming side, working with. Um, sports brands and spent quite a bit of time working with the International Olympic Committee and uh, and the organising committees for for London 2012 and a couple of other ga- um, Olympic games. So a good blend there of sort of sport and games and and I've had uh, a significant spell working with um, big brands like Jaguar Land Rover and Dell on uh, on their sort of marketing activations and so on. So if you sort of roll that that gaming and sport and marketing components together, then um, that's a that's a good blend, I think, for, for for esports or certainly somebody coming in. The ownership of the Sixers and all of the resources that we're able to draw upon from the guys in Philadelphia and from the New Jersey Devils. Um, that's a that's that's a unique combination that, that I think we bring to the table. Yeah, how how does that help you being owned by the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA and? Um, the devils in the nhl what 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 things specifically do they help you with well i think you know on a, on a very basic level um the team dignitas logo and branding is uh inside the uh, inside the philadelphia 76ers at the um at the stadium there so when you go and watch the, the team play and so when they're on tv then the dignitas logo and branding is is visible um, we have our logo on the um, Delaware 87ers, the D-League team. We have our logo on their shirts. Um, so at one end of the, the, the level, then we can obviously point to a number of sort of branding opportunities there. Um, right the way through to the other end, which is what the, the experience that we draw upon on a daily basis from them, where um, the, the Sixers and Devils sponsorship teams, um, sponsor sales teams and activation teams, are ultimately responsible for for our sponsorship um, relationships, and and I think this is absolutely key. You know, what, when we talk about why we think we're doing things differently, this is a you know a really good example, if not one of the best examples of what we're doing and why we think we're we're different. Because, you know, when we came into this space and we're talking to partners, there was a real sort of mixed reaction from people as to what had worked and what hadn't worked um, when they had spoken and and partnered with esports teams and. I just don't think necessarily there was a great um, understanding of how sponsored antic activations worked and what the expectation was on the team to to report back in terms of metrics and deliverables and so on. Um, we immediately, um, and part of the plan was always to, to use the Sixers and Devils teams to go and um, sell our sponsorships and activate on our sponsorships because they've got that experience. You know, they've been doing that for years and doing it incredibly successfully. Just as a sort of final piece on that, this is you know this is not just about helping Dignitas and growing us as an organisation. I think we strongly feel that having that level of 
experience and expertise um, helping us just ultimately will will help grow the the esports space overall as well. You know, Jonathan, you look at some of the other you know more traditional sports, team sports like the National Football League, the NBA, which you know we were talking about with the Sixers, um, Major League Baseball, even. You know, there's so much money split evenly among all the teams that you really don't have to win to be profitable, you know, particularly in the NFL and the NBA. You know, you mm-hmm. join in a salary cap. I, I get a sense on my uh, knowledge of gaming that that's not the case. The only way you can be profitable from an operating standpoint in gaming is if you have a really competitive team. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that's probably true for for any sort of new sport that is not, um, you know, that doesn't have the the infrastructure that perhaps some of those other organisations um, you just listed have. I, I think that you know, if you think about where this has come from, this has been a very um, organic uh, growth for for esports, and this started whatever, a number of years ago with, with people playing for very small pots of money. In fact, not even playing for money, playing for pride. You know, it's it, it's the natural extension of, of you want to know who's the best at playing a certain game in your family and you want to know who's the best at playing in your class and you extrapolate that out. You want to know who's the best at school, who's the best in your village and lo and behold, esports is born where everybody wants to know who's the best at playing a certain game. And, um, you know, so I think what happens as you sort of move along that journey, then then you realise that, as money comes into play um, with in terms of prize money, then you know the bet that was important for teams. But what was equally important at that point was growing your fan base, and it's pretty hard to grow your fan base in in esports without having um, some degree of success on your playing side. So, in answer to your question, yeah, right where we are right now, undoubtedly um, the, the 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 three are linked. That the you know they're a sort of virtuous um circle in terms of team performance fan engagement and then commercial opportunities and and you know they are you, you couldn't take any one of those three out of that equation right now uh, how do you have a uh, handle on jonathan and roughly how big your fan base is and and as a follow-up uh i would imagine that there's a significant portion of your fan base that's outside the united states yeah, so I mean, it's, I mean, in terms of our um, the size of our fan base, or in terms of the geographical reach of our fan base, then yes, because um, our teams are based. Um, you know, we've got sort of two. We got we have five teams currently. We have two of our teams are in North America. Um, two of our teams are actually in, uh, or three of our teams are in Europe. So, you know, we've got a pretty broad base of, of, of fan base. And I think, uh, you know, Dignitas had been a, uh, a European-based organization, or certainly the teams had been. So our fan base, you know, is, is significant in places like Portugal and, and UK and France, where we have a number of our players, as indeed it is in the US. So the split is probably, um, I would say it's probably about sort of 40% US uh, and then 60% outside US right now um, in terms of our known fan base um, and in, in terms of actual numbers then um, Twitter is always a good um, sort of barometer for for, uh, for fan base I mean obviously we've got a load of metrics that, that we pull on um, our team Dignitas um, Twitter reach, which is players and and team, is about one and a half million right now. Um, so that gives you a pretty good I- idea. Mm. I mean, obviously we we monitor our numbers across 
Twitch and Facebook and 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 I mean our website views and so on and and, and so on. But um, I think that Twitter, because it's such a it's such a, an obvious um, point for players to be able to engage with fans, is is generally the, the sort of the the metric that we would call upon. I was uh, as part of this podcast. You know, we were talking with Emily, who's yep. a key player. You know, yes. and uh, you know, I found her as I have. Uh, couple of the other gamers I've had the pleasure of speaking with you know I'm sort of so used to uh, interviewing athletes of the more traditional sports the gamers they they seem like a different breed Um, you know they seem uh, they're they're very sort of outgoing bubbly um, uh, yet at the same time you know that they they're I know it's a tremendous amount of energy, very enthusiastic about what they're doing, but they're not jaded by raking in piles of money and endorsements and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm just really curious. As a CEO uh, who's been in the corporate world as well, you know, what's been your experience and, and how has it, uh, you know, impacted your management style in terms of what you're trying to do? That's a, that's a really good question. And, and I think, you know, to answer that, one has to acknowledge where we are on that, that, that you know, in terms of that journey for, for a lot of those players. You know, this is, we're just really on the edge here where meaningful salaries are becoming something that uh, that people can begin to expect, maybe not across every single game, but across a number of the games. There's enough of a, of a sort of financial incentive there for people to um, to consider this a career and not just a hobby. Um, so you still are somewhat in that sort of middle ground where people love it. It's their it's their chosen, you know, it's the hobby that they liked. It's the pastime they liked. It's become a sport, and now it's becoming a career. And I mean, what's not to like about that? If that's um, if that's your, you know, the thing that you want to be doing. Um, and as I say, you know, it isn't um, not all of the the players by any means, and, um, and not all of the games which we play and have a. Um, a revenue stream which derives a, you know, a, a, a salary that's um, a meaningful salary for everybody. But we're getting there, you know, and I think that you know pretty much all of our players are now full time, um, by and large. Um, there's a couple of players that aren't, a couple of teams that aren't, but by and large we have everybody's full time. And so, you know, I think um, for for those players right now, um, and again, this comes back to this fan engagement piece, and I think it's really important. You know, they. Have this opportunity. They're not. They're not living in a in a vacuum here. They, whenever they are playing at tournaments, they're interacting with fans. When they're online, they're interacting with fans. When they're streaming, they're interacting with fans. Um, and I think that's a really important part of it. You're doing the job you love. You've got fan engagement on a daily basis, um, and you're earning a salary which is commensurate with um, with the role that you're doing. And I think because of that, you see this kind of high energy. Do you do you game? Do you play? Do you find like that you need to to sort of test the games that are out there to to, to better be connect to your players and and your sponsors? Um, I do game. I, I certainly used to play a lot more games than I do now. Um, there's the passage of time and the small patter of or the patter of small children. Um, but uh, yeah, I certainly uh, I certainly play. I mean, I tend to play more mobile games now than I do PC based games. Um, but listen, we have a you know our, within our organisation we have such a great infrastructure of of 
former players and coaches and um, managers and say the kind of the founders of the the original businesses who are um, massively involved on a day-to-day basis of uh, of running that that team performance and so um, I think what's been important for me as I've looked at the opportunities in the first 180 days has been very much around hey listen we've got some successful teams here and um, what we need to do is be able to look at the commercial opportunities um, for us around fans and commercial partners and broadcasters and PR and so on. And that's definitely been a sort of a, a primary focus. Your kids must think they have the coolest dad in the world. Yeah. The, <laughs> the reason I laugh is about a couple of weeks ago, my, my wife is in uh, the video game space as well. And a couple of weeks ago, my daughter said, both of you are in video games and yet you don't let us play video games. Any of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's hard to come back on that. Too, well, that may, you may have, that may have to change. Uh, you know, not to intervene on you and your wife's behalf, but given how the growth and of this industry is going, you may want to give that some second thoughts. Well, I, I have one child; she's a daughter who's ten. I was sort of very, my wife and I, very protecting on that side of it too. I'm starting to rethink that. <laughs> I, I, my my standard line now at uh, you know at uh, sort of barbecues or or dinners or whatever is hey listen you know all those times that you were told by your parents stop gaming you'll never come to anything if you game those days are long behind us so you <laughs> definitely can come to something if you game and there's a there's a really interesting career there and a fun career and a career um, that can be um, you know that can be financially rewarding and it can definitely be de- be emotionally rewarding in terms of um, being able to um, play in a team play with teammates build a team sort of foundation travel participate in front of live audiences um, and enjoy some of that success about something you love doing and you know that's uh, that, that that's compelling and we really are now at a point whereby um, for people who want to come into this space, be it on the playing side or on the non-playing side, those opportunities are, are, are becoming greater and greater. Jonathan, before I let you go, um, I'm only going to give you a two-part question instead of a 50-part question. I'm going to end it on this. Roughly speaking, uh, based on what you're seeing now in terms of the metrics and the full nine months or so you've been there, roughly speaking, how big in terms of revenue do you think – uh, Team Dignitas could be maybe three years from now. And, and for our listeners, can you kind of draw a, a visual pie chart in the sense of proportionally where those revenues would come from? Sure. Um, so let me, let me start by giving you the sort of the revenue sources. That probably would be a, a, a good help um i'm not going to get into specifics on numbers but in terms of how esports teams generally um, draw their revenue so um sponsorship partners uh is generally uh the biggest um percentage in that uh in that pie chart um so i think you know we all have commercial partners who help us um in terms of sponsorship and and we work with them around activating on their brand be that through um, something on you know shirt sponsorship or pieces of content or, or whatever it happens to be um, you know events uh, participation that kind of thing so that's definitely the biggest part of it um, and then and in no particular other order the other revenue buckets are around merchandise um, and our ability to sell not just our 
um, jerseys and, and player kit, but then to be able to um, sell merchandise beyond that, T-shirt, caps, hats, etc. Um, so that is a second revenue source. Uh, a third revenue source is around our um, prize money, which obviously we work with our players and the players get the, uh, the lion's share of the prize money, but that's a, a revenue source for us as a team, which then works its way through to players. Um, and then we have uh, a number of uh, other sort of uh, revenue streams um, related to broadcast uh, and uh, and streaming, uh, and certainly our media partners. And those are the sort of the four um, main buckets as we see it: um, sponsorship, broadcast, merchandising, and and and, uh, and sort of prize money, stroke league payments. Um, there are then other smaller small revenue opportunities which we would have. Um, but certainly the, the biggest bulk of, of the revenue is through those. Oh, well, I know you have a big tournament coming up in Philadelphia. Uh, what type of shape are you guys in for that? How's that looking? Well, great. And you know what? The, the great thing about it being in Philadelphia, it's uh, we have some home support there, um, obviously. Um, the interesting thing with, uh, with a lot of our teams is that um, before big events, then uh, – they get together. You can imagine it. A lot. Some of our teams um, that they 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 don't all live together. They you know they they live apart, and so um, they practice online. And what's really helpful for us before big tournaments is for them to be able to boot camp, as we say. So we will get them together in one location, and they'll spend maybe a week or uh, five days together beforehand, being able to actually um, practice in the same room as each other for for an extended period of time, and so. Um, the, the team in Philadelphia next week, um, our CSGO team, they will be boot camping. Emily will be um, leading the charge there, and they'll be boot camping leading into that tournament. And, uh, yeah, no, we have, uh, we have high hopes there. And it's on home soil, so we should, be, uh, we should feel more confident about that. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck, Jonathan, and, and really appreciate you taking the time to come on this podcast. And uh, all the best of luck next week to you, my friend. Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. By the way, you can download the all-new Podcast One app now in the App Store or on Google Play. Find your favorite shows and new content to go with them like articles, behind-the-scenes photos, and videos. There is no other podcast app like this. Check it out. Have you heard Spike's Car Radio? It's comedian, actor, writer Spike Ferriston sitting on the porch in Malibu talking with some cool people about cool cars and life in general. My first guest is Jerry Seinfeld. He's right here. He was all right. Don't try to hug him. Chris Hardwick. I could feel everything on the road. I mean, it was right. basically like, it was like unprotected sex for driving. Could... <laughs> Jeremy Piven. I hold you know what? I think you and Jerry are spiritually tied to cars, <laughs> and I respect it and I love it, but I don't quite get it yet, but I want to get it. Download new episodes of Spike's Car Radio every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or save time and subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is 
tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.